Proverbs chapter 22, I want to begin reading in verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. He who oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you? Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Chapter 23, verse 1. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich, because of your own understanding cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for you will despise the wisdom of your words. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. We're so grateful that we have it any, any time that we need it. Thank you that you hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord, we are grateful that it doesn't change. We're grateful that it allows us to see a current snapshot of our spiritual condition, Lord, and we don't want to forget what we look like as we look away from your word. We want you to work in our lives by your Holy Spirit to make us into the disciples you've called us to be. We want to follow Christ. We want to be like Christ. We want to make a difference in this world for you. We're not interested in being like the world. We want to be like you, Jesus. You've told us to be in the world, but not of the world. So we ask God that you would help us to be salt and light in this world. Use these verses to that end to make us more effective to reach the hurting and the lost. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We've been looking at uh, these incredible verses of wisdom. It's just full of wisdom. 
So often we think about the book of Proverbs and we want to learn wisdom, but then we forget how convicting it is. It's like, it's so convicting. You know, it's not just wisdom principles. It's showing us how we're not already being wise and how we're not obeying what God has told us to obey. And, and he tells us so clearly in the book of Proverbs, in his word really, generally, about how we fall short. He's so good at that. You know, the word conviction especially relates to the Holy Spirit and his ministry to convict us of sin is really has the idea behind it of an airtight case. A a masterful prosecuting attorney can, can just present an airtight case. There's no wiggle room. There's no getting out of it. There's no greater prosecuting attorney. And he's not really prosecuting us, but there's no greater, you know, lawyer related to God's law and how we're falling short than the Holy Spirit. As he shows us how we're falling short, he knows things that we don't know, even in a, related to our own hearts. We can be so deceptive in our own hearts towards what we really believe and what we're about and what our true motivations are. He examines our hearts. He sees us all the time. He sees us when no one else is looking, revealing what our true character is. And so he is so good, and he, and he he's doesn't sleep. He's, he's ministering to us 24 hours a day. He can speak to us in our dreams, and our sleep. He can wake up, and he can be talking to us already. It's so beautiful, his work and his ministry in our lives to convict us and to exhort us and to redirect us and help us. So his word is so valuable, but we have to value it in a way where we're... Re- being receptive to what he has to say and not just to learn information as wonderful as that is but to actually put it into practice you know the hebrew mind and the mindset of the jews was always you don't know something until you experience it but when it came to the ancient greeks they were more about head knowledge more about theory and more about philosophy and all those things but for the jewish mind you didn't know something until you did it for the most part and, and that's kind of the idea behind this is that, you know, wisdom, we, we already saw this when we went through these verses in the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is justified by your children. What, what does that mean? It means that it's proven to be the wise book that it is by people living it out. And people see the result of them living that book out and they see, wow, this, this really does uh, <laughs> show that this book is wise. I mean, if you follow the, a book and an author of a book, and it turns out really well, it's, it speaks to the veracity and how credible that book and that author is. Well, it's the same way with, with God's word. As we obey God's word, it produces a certain type of life, a Christ-like life. And that life look, makes it basically sheds good light on the Bible, even that, not that the Bible needs it, because the Bible is what it is anyway, regardless of what anyone says about it. But, it, but it, it adds to its reputation by saying this person is a result of this book and the, words, the Lord's work in his life through, the, through his book. And it just brings glory to God. And that's what we want. I want to begin in verse 15 here in chapter 22. He says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And he says there at the beginning of verse 15, Foolishness is bound up. Now, when you think about something that's bound up, you can think of like a ball of, of 
twine or a ball of yarn or something, something bound. We think of something that's tied. And, and, and what it's getting at here is in the heart of a child, it's natural for them in terms of their fallen nature to uh, not do things the, the way that they should do them. Okay, we've been looking at fool, fools as we've gone through the book of Proverbs. What's a fool? A fool can be a brilliant, intellectually uh, superior person. They don't have to be, they're not ignorant in the sense of in, intellect, but they don't do what God has said for them to do. They don't put into practice what God has said to do, nor do they receive correction. Those are the two primary characteristics of fools and so we think of this and we think oh just the silliness of kids and you know just how childish they are and that's the foolishness he's talking about and he's really talking about doing the thing not doing the things that they know that they should do and and not receiving correction and basically being rebellious so you could say that not doing what they're supposed to be doing and rebellion is is bound up in the heart of a child and notice he says in the middle verse 15 the rod what's a rod a rod is a paddle or a, you know, a switch or however you want to articulate it. It's something that you have that you use in your hand to exert punishment on the backside of a child. Corporal punishment or spanking. And it says that the rod of correction will drive it. What's the it? The foolishness that's bound up in his heart. It will drive that foolishness far from him. And I want us to know that this word rod there, it's literally, when it says the rod of correction, it's literally the rod of discipline. And we're told when it related to correction in the book of Proverbs with our children, 12 out of 13 times it talks about this rod and discipline related to training. And so God knows that, that there's a connection between the rear end and the heart, the foolishness that's in a heart of a child. There's a, there's a correlation there. There's a, there's a connection. And he says, I, it will drive it far from it. That's where we want. We want rebellion. We want disobedience to God's word to be far from our children. In our culture, corporal punishment, spanking, in, in other words, is increasingly seen in a negative light. And in our world, which I'll get to in a moment. And it's increasingly seen as child abuse. And it's, we see from scripture that obviously there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Nobody is advocating for child abuse and, and all these things. And you want to do it a very specific way. But I believe as, as we get closer and closer to the end, that's going to become a greater and greater issue. It's one of those issues where we'll have to choose between obeying what God's word says, because God knows better. He knows our children way better than we do. He knows our grandkids better than we do. If this has worked for thousands of years, people haven't been harmed for it when it's done correctly for thousands of years since the beginning of man. Uh, it, it's been very, very um, effective. And so I believe that there will be a outlawing of this in our country eventually. It's already outlawed, I think, in 40, 41 countries. I want to read a few of them to you. San Marino, Brazil, Honduras, Albania, Tunisia, Luxembourg, Togo. I don't know what, where that is. Uh, Uruguay, Netherlands, Romania, Turkmenistan, Bulgaria, Denmark, Norway, Argentina, Malta, T-F-Y-R, Macedonia, wherever that is. I know Macedonia, but this may be another smaller version of that. The Republic of Congo, Poland, Republic of Moldova, Spain, Portugal, Greece, Ukraine, Germany, Croatia, Cyprus, Finland, 
Bolivia, Cabo Verde, South Sudan, Kenya, Lich, I'm going to get, use my German little pronunciation, Liechtenstein, um, wherever that is, Costa Rica, Venezuela, if you're from there, please forgive me, uh, Venezuela, New Zealand, Hungary, Iceland, Israel, Israel, it's illegal for corporal punishment there as of the year 2000, Latvia, Austria, and Sweden, it's all illegal to engage in spanking there, and I'm telling you, it's coming here, it's going to be an issue, and so we have to recognize, you know, what's the idea behind all of this? Ultimately, spiritually, you know, remember, we believe in a very literal demonic realm and Satan and all of that. He's attacking the families, breaking down people's identity. He's breaking down the families, breaking down all these critical things for a society to work. And he's in part of, obviously, fostering rebellion in, in, from the earliest ages in children can be assisted with allowing them to not be punished in a way that will be effective. And so Satan, of course, loves rebellion. And he wants to do anything that will encourage more and more rebellion. It, 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 it um, hinders parents from raising their kids the right way, having them respect authority, all these things. It has so many um, implications that are not good. And so we're called as believers to follow God's word. We follow the laws of the land but when it contra- they contradict scripture, we go with a higher law. And, and that's going to be the case when it's illegal to preach the gospel. We'll be called to still preach that gospel. When they say, I can't teach certain passages of scripture, we go through the whole Bible here. So I, I can't just avoid certain passages. I want to be teaching Romans chapter 1 related to homosexuality. I want to be teaching all the things that scripture says because God's instruction is an expression of love to people. Because he wants them to be free from bondage and the, the penalty of sin and the power of sin and all of that. And, and we have to tell the truth. So corporate punishment has to be done correctly. It can't be done in anger. can't be done to humiliate them. can't be done to get even with them. I mean, I've seen that before. I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to spank them. And I'm going to, you know, like, no, you can't get even with your kids. You know, that's not, God's not going to bless that. can't be with to the face. It can't be with a fist, obviously. Um, it, it has to be done with, um, with love. It can't be done out of anger. It can't be done for just mistakes that they make. It has to be done out of, for rebellion, willful disobedience. There has to be restoration afterwards. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be love extended. All those things and encouragement that they can do better. All of those things are, are biblical things. And so we have to do it correctly so God's word says what it says we don't apologize for it he knows what's best doesn't matter how bad this world gets we're going to continue to do what God's word says now there are times where punishment you don't it doesn't require something like a spanking of course there's other forms of punishment but there are times where that needs to happen verse 16 he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty so the two sins that he, in this verse, are trying to accomplish the same goal, but in different ways. So we see here that someone is trying to be rich by oppressing the poor, taking advantage of the poor. And that's a sin. And God sees it. He hates it. He will deal with people that do that. Also, we see people trying to secure wealth by giving to the rich. How do you, get, how do you secure wealth by giving to the rich? By doing things to... Show them that you want to 
help them in some way because it'll somehow reciprocate back to you. They'll do something that will bless you or you'll get some kind of advantage of something related to monetary gain or whatever. And God sees that as well. So he sees everything. And it matters to him what people do or don't do. And, and he, we can't do the wrong thing to gain monetary, um, to gain money. And, and he will, look what he says at the end of verse 16. Will surely, notice the word surely there. Will surely come to poverty. Doesn't matter what great plans we have, what great business sense we have, how hard we work. If we're taking advantage of people or we're trying to show, uh, you know, uh, partiality towards wealthy people James warns that warns about that to be able to get something from them God's going we're going to reap what we sow and he doesn't he doesn't want that for us so that's clear instruction for us now verses 17 through 21 is an introduction to 30 teachings or sayings that are going to come after verse 21 for the next couple chapters that he's going to introduce and he's going to lay all those those proverbs out and it's great wisdom for us but he gives us an introduction to those things and kind of helps us to be in a place where we should be able to receive that instruction well in verses 17 through 21 so he starts in verse 17 and 18 by saying incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you let them be fixed upon your lips. So four verbs there in those two verses. Incline, apply, keep, fixed. All them be fixed. And that, and that is something that we can look at one at a time and we can kind of see the process of how we appropriate God's word in the right way. Because he says in verse, uh, the first one there, incline your ear. And it's not just physically, but spiritually. There are people that physically can't hear. They can still receive God's word. So it's not just a spiritual type, uh, or a physical, rather, type reception. This is talking about spiritual reception. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Paul wrote that to the church of Corinth, knowing that as carnal as they were, (laughs) you know, they had the Holy Spirit inside of them and they had the capacity to discern God's truth. And so because we have that Holy Spirit, we have the capacity to appropriate, receive, discern, and weigh God's revelation to us, his word, and not just receive it, but perceive it, discern it, weigh it, all those things that, you know, he's called us to do. So we have that inclination, that spiritual inclination. He says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. It's a a beautiful thing. And then he says, um, apply your heart there. He says, and apply your heart to my knowledge. We can discern it and not yield our hearts to it. Have you ever listened to a teaching and you're getting convicted or you're reading God's word and you're getting convicted, but you know that you should turn your heart to God, repent of that thing or whatever it is in your heart at that moment. That's when we should be doing it. You know, we we have the two songs at the end, usually, uh, 
for us to worship the Lord after the teaching's over. That's the time between us and the Lord that we're, we're talking to him, we're making things right, we're thanking him for things and all of that. But it doesn't have to start then. It can start as we're hearing it, as we're hearing God's word, as we're reading it and all of that. We can make those changes, and it's up to us. Notice he, he tells us to do it. Apply your heart to my knowledge. We have to volitionally apply our heart to his knowledge. When we hear that instruction, we recognize that we need to do that. We haven't been doing it. We need to apply our hearts and, 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 and engage him because he's right there inside of us and he's waiting for us to make that decision and, and, and get things right between us and him. And it's beautiful. But then he says in, in verse 18 that it's, um, it's a pleasant thing if we keep them within us. So it's, it's incumbent upon us for us to not allow that, the word of God to get snatched from, from us as we're told in the parable of the soils, but more than that, and more importantly than that, for us to stay in God's word, to stay in those areas, to meditate on God's word and in, on those themes and everything, maybe speaks to us related to a certain area, then we start studying that area. We start learning what the rest of scripture has to say about that area, and he starts renewing our minds even more related to that thing. And that's what he says. He says, for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. And then notice he says, the verse, middle of verse 18, let them all be fixed upon your lips. Let these, these things, these, these amazing truths, let them all be fixed upon our lips. It's a beautiful thing that he does. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus told us that. Whatever we sow in our hearts, whatever we have in our hearts, is going to come out. And he just got done saying that we need to apply our hearts to his knowledge. Well, if, that, if we do that and our hearts are engaged in him, then the things that we've been engaging in in our hearts are going to come out of our mouths. And that's what God wants. If any man speaks, let him speak the oracles of God, we're told. Peter said that by the Spirit. We're supposed to speak the things that he has hidden in our hearts and, and they are an overflow of our hearts that come out of our mouths and, it, and, it, and it's beautiful but notice he says let them all be fixed upon your lips all the things that we may not want to have come out like the gospel like t- telling somebody the truth and they need to hear the truth like anything that he speaks to us and we're engaging our heart with and all of a sudden we know we need to speak that in an appropriate situation the Holy Spirit set this whole situation up for us to say something, and we don't say it. He, it says, all, all, let them all be fixed upon our lips. And then notice the result there in verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, so that your trust may be in the Lord. See, God's not going to speak to us and deal with us in our hearts, have us engage him in our hearts, and then have those things that are great, that are godly, come out of our mouths and, and then not have that affect our disposition or our posture towards the Lord. And we're going to be trusting him in a greater and greater way. So he says, your trust will be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. I like that. Because sometimes we think, oh, yeah, he's speaking to God's people in general, but not really necessarily to me. He's like, no, you. <laughs> I'm speaking to you all, y'all. We're not in the South. We can say y'all. I'm speaking to y'all. And, or all y'all, they even make that even better. All y'all, it's great. But not just speaking to y'all, I'm speaking to you. And, and God 
just is so faithful to speak just to us what we need. I have instructed you today, even you. Verse 20. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge? Isn't that just like, it's all just, not just these 30 Proverbs that he's about to tell us and everything. It's all of God's word. He says that about all of his word. He said, he says, haven't I, haven't I written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, verse 21, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth. The certainty of the words of truth. How certain are you about the certainty of God's word? It's a searching question. It certainly is. How certain are you? You'll get that on the way home. You won't laugh, but you'll get it. Um, How certain are you of the certainty of God's word? God wants you to trust his word and not waver at all. Talking to me too. Wants me to trust in God's word and not waver one bit. He says, I have written to you excellent things and counsels of knowledge. And I want you to live after these things. I want you to allow me to build your life upon the certainty of my word. There's people that have bet their lives against this book and they have failed. And they have been sorry at the end of their lives. Some of them haven't been sorry. They died cursing God. They died in their unbelief and all of that. And they got exactly what they deserved. He says that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. Think about that. What does that mean? When you would send to somebody, you're sending somebody to go to somebody else for information. And it's beautiful because he says, you will have the answer, you'll be able to answer words of truth to those who send to you. We'll have the answer. See, the world has no answers. This world is, is bankrupt of answers. They can't answer where we're going to go when we die. They can't even answer why we die. The Bible answers why we die. We die, you know, Adam and Eve die. Yes, there were two parents. You look at any family tree. Does it get narrower as it goes higher? Yes, it goes narrow. That's why it's called a tree. So it goes narrower and narrower. The mankind genealogy is going narrower and narrower as you go up until it gets to two people. And they're called Adam and Eve, and they, and they sinned against God, and they died spiritually, and that started the process of, being, of dying physically. But God has the answer for that in Scripture. This world has no answers, and he put us in very strategic places in life to be able to tell people the truth about why they are how they are, how they can be saved, how they can't save themselves, how God has a plan for them, how God wants to save them and he wants to give them a specific thing to do or things to do for him in this world, to be able to interpret why we are how we are. No one can answer that. No major religion answers legitimately why we are how we are. And and God tells the truth. It's the only one that says that man's sinful and we can't save ourselves. Or we can't be enlightened to the point where we earn our way out of our condition. It's the only one that tells the truth. It's the only one that paints the people who wrote the book, many of them, in in an honest light. How they failed and fallen short and how sinful God's people were and repented and cried out to the Lord. And then he took them back and this picture of the Christian life. And in the sense of how God is patient with us, there's answers that we have. And God wants to use each of us, not just leaders, not just pastors. Not, I'm talking every Christian. He's called each of us to be able to be grounded in his word, to be able to have answers when people come to us and say, I don't understand why all these things are happening. 
Why is there all this sexual harassment going on in the culture? Why is all there this corruption? Why is there this hatred and racism? And why is there all these horrible, horrible things in this world? It seems like things are getting worse. What do you think? Okay, Christian, you're on. You have the mic. You have the stage. You have the platform. You've allowed God to build into your life all these things that are his truth. And you can speak with authority. Whether they receive it or not, it's not your business. It's there between them and God, and you tell them the truth about this world and where it's headed, and all of these things that we see, all the things in the culture that we see, all the things that are happening between countries, and all these things that are all lining up with this perfectly. And, and they need to get out of the danger that they're in. And, and God's called us each to be able to be mouthpieces for him in this world but we have to be grounded in God's word we have to let God invest in us so that we can know enough to be able to teach them and tell them the truth the 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 point is we need to be mouthpieces for him you know the prophets in the old testament most of the Jews never received what they had to say but God sent him anyway and it's not like he didn't know that they wouldn't receive he knows the future he sent him anyway because he showed his faithfulness to give them a way out even though they he knew they most of them wouldn't take it but Jeremiah prophesied for 30 years no known convert he was 100% successful and and so we have to recognize it doesn't matter if people receive we want them to receive we pray that they receive but it doesn't change the fact that we're going to tell them the truth we God's called us to do that and this instruction helps us to be able uh, to, to do that. Now, verse 22, he starts this whole section of, for the next chapter or two, about these 30 different proverbs that are amazing, his teachings. He says, verse 22, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. Well, the gates of the city where were people hung out, that begged and needed help and all that. The judges of the city would be there as well. They would be administering justice and people would bring their case before them and they'd make decisions and all of that. And he's saying, don't rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. It's interesting that he starts this whole section of, of wisdom. He's just told us to value his word and his instruction and value these proverbs. He's told us ahead of time before he starts getting into these 30 that we're going to see over the next chapter or two. And isn't it interesting that he starts with talking about the poor? He starts with talking about the poor. He knows that maybe we wouldn't be paying attention to the poor. And he makes that a priority, and he says, you need to not forget them. Do not rob them. Don't take advantage of them. Don't oppress them. He loves them, and he wants us to be a conduit or a vessel through whom he can help them and give them the message that they need to hear and to help them in a practical way. So we're not supposed to oppress them. We can rob the poor by not giving to the poor. Because God can put on our hearts that we need to help this person or these people or give to this cause or whatever. And we can say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep this to myself. And, and God, you know, we're told in James to him who know to do what is right and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. So we can do that. We have to obey what God tells us to do. We have to have our eyes on everybody, not just ourselves. Verse 23. For the Lord will plead their cause. And plunder the soul of those who plunder them. Interesting that he says that. He pleads their cause. To whom? He's the one that anyone could plead to. He's the one. 
He will plead their cause. He will defend them. He sees the needy. He sees the hurting. He hears their cries. None of us hear them. But he hears them. And it matters to him. And he says, you you take advantage of them, I will plead their cause and I will plunder. Notice he says, the soul. This is serious. Not just the body. The soul of those who plunder them. It's a big exhortation. Verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go. So it's interesting, he's talking about this wisdom, he's putting his emphasis on receiving it, and having our hearts engaged with it, and he says that chronically angry people, that don't walk in, they, they normally don't walk in wisdom. And he wants us to be walking in wisdom, and wisdom, if they're controlled by their anger and chronically angry, then wisdom isn't driving them, their selfishness and emotions are driving them. Because most of the time people don't have chronic anger problems because they have righteous anger or righteous indignation. Usually that's something to do with their own lives and they're upset with something that they're not getting. So he says, no, make no friendship with an angry man and, and, and with a furious man do not go. And then he says what's really going to happen, verse 25, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. So it can be, you know, uh, it can be contagious, you ever been around someone that's constantly angry all the time? Not only do you start getting angry because, you know, they irritate you because they're always angry, but you're like, yeah, you know what? You got a point there. I'm mad about this too, and I'm mad about that. And I'm not, you know, and pretty soon you're ranting and raving more than they are. Maybe I'm just speaking from my own experience. I don't know. Maybe not. But it's, it's, it's like that. It's contagious. And he says, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. It's not good for us. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Clear truth can't get any better than that verse related to how critical it is that we don't walk in the wrath of man, but we walk in the righteousness of God. Verse 26. Do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? So don't don't co-sign for people, because if there comes a point where they can't pay and you're supposed to pay and you can't pay, your Tempur-Pedic is gone. You know, your sleep number bed is gone. Your uh, my pillow. You know, it's gone. Every, man, that guy has a lot of infomercials. Um, anyway, so, that you, you know, they'll take even your bed. Rent-a-Center will come and get your bed. You know, I don't know. But, uh, you know, that's, it's just not wise to do that. And we've seen that over and over in Scripture about the, how it's not wise to co-sign for people. So, again, he's saying that more. Remember, there is, people don't just, we think co-signing because family helps out family sometimes with that or whatever. But there was arrangements that were made with co-signing where you got something immediate in return by the person for co-signing and it was, temp- it was tempting. But then that would go away, of course, over time and you're still stuck with the possibility of having to pay this person's debt off when you, they can't pay it. And he's saying it's not, it's not wise to do that. Um, you're going to lose your Tempur-Pedic. So verse 28, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. This is interesting. He's going to talk about this more than once. So they had these, you know, a big pile of rocks and things that they would line out 
you know, your lot, and they would, it would be set, and they would be that way from generation to generation, and what people would do is that they would move those landmarks, they would move the landmarks closer to their house, um, or further away from their house, so that they get more land, and then they can farm more and everything, as if they're their, their, their neighbor is not going to notice that. Um, obviously, they're going to notice that. What are you talking about? I didn't move any, you know, boundaries or whatever. Well, it just keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and your land seems to be getting bigger and bigger. I'm not sure why, and, and uh, it would cause a lot of problems. He says, don't, don't do that. Don't remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Verse 29, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And I love this because we're supposed to work as unto the Lord. I remember when I was a new Christian and I was, my first job as a new Christian was working at a mental hospital. Don't laugh. Okay, that's just where I, that's the first job that I could get. Um, and, and it was the graveyard shift and that was a whole education in a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but I remember hearing for the first time that you don't, we don't, as Christians, we don't need to have, have a, a boss looking at us all the time or people looking at us because we have Jesus as our, as, our, as our boss. And he sees everything and he blesses us for doing the right thing and working hard. And we need to work as unto him because he sees things all the time. And no boss should worry about that because if we're concerned about Jesus being pleased with our work, we're surely going to be working you know, just as much or harder for him as we would for a humanly boss. And I'm like, wow, that's that's really cool until I realize that now I'm accountable to that. <laughs> you know, it's like now when I'm cleaning this bathroom or whatever and, 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 and um, he's seeing everything, it matters what kind of job I'm doing. I'm like, this isn't fun. Uh, but, but actually I realized it was, it was great to see that but, and to, to know that. But it is true that godly hard work is, is beautiful in the sight of God. He's, he's putting an emphasis on how well we do at our jobs and sometimes we can think that our jobs are not that spiritual in nature and that God doesn't really care that much about our jobs he cares a lot about our jobs he cares a lot about how much we work even apart from being a good witness he of course wants that and loves that but even if we worked by ourselves and no one ever saw Let's say we work remotely for a company and we're in our office and they have no idea what we're doing and for playing you know video games or going to the fridge like 30 times a day or whatever it Jesus sees it and it matters to him and he says that he who excels in his work will stand before kings what that means is we're going to have favor so we don't have a king we may have people that think they're kings but we don't have kings in our country but we have people that are over us and and in places of authority and we have increasing influence as we do the right thing, we're going to have more influence before people that have um, a capacity to affect our lives and our jobs and our influence and all of that. And, and he says that we'll be blessed as a result of that hard work. Chapter 23. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. So what's he talking about here? It's talking about people in authority, a ruler. People that are in authority, and traditionally it's been politicians or kings or those people, and you know many of them in authority are corrupt. 
have been corrupt in, in the history of the world. We're talking in Israel, there were corrupt kings, there were, you know, there's always been corrupt people in authority because people have always been corrupt, generally speaking. He's saying if you think you're going to get ahead by eating before a corrupt ruler, and you better be very careful what you, um, what deals you make over that food and how they may see that you are indebted to them because they are they're having you at their table and giving you all these delicacies and be very careful. Now, I think of Daniel, how Daniel wouldn't eat the king's delicacies. He wouldn't be a part of that. He wanted to stay true to the Lord and true to the things that he was supposed to be about. But, um, you know, we can, people can attempt to wine and dine us and, you know, get, try to do things for us that put us in a position of compromise and we have to just stay true to the Lord and not uh, cave to those things and not be influenced by those things because the, the, the issue is he's telling, he's telling us the truth about ourselves that certain things are appealing to us and we have to deny those desires and be careful about what we uh, give into as if we, we shouldn't give into if we have to compromise certain things but people will know our 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 desires and what we like and they'll, they'll try to push those buttons in us and we have to be very 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 careful verse four do not overwork to be rich i'm going to stop there but <laughs> um, where our society needs to hear this do not overwork to be rich See, all of our time, our money, our influence, all those things as Christians, those things don't belong to us. Those things are the Lord's that he is letting us use for a certain amount of time. And so he knows what our schedule should be. He knows how much we should work. He knows how much family time or relationship time or um, other things, ministry time. He knows what all those things are supposed to look like. We're supposed to bring those things before the Lord. And when those things are out of balance... And we are going after these things to the neglect of the other things. Because work is not a bad thing. It's, he's just got done telling us that work is a great thing. And we need to work hard. But we can overwork and to, to be able to gain certain things. Maybe because we're coveting or whatever. And God says if you, if you do that, you're, you're going to suffer as a result. He says in the rest of that verse, verse 4. Because of your own understanding, cease. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. You know this isn't right. Cease. You know these boundaries. You're crossing them. You need to stop. Verse 5. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And it's interesting. There's like a play on words in the Hebrew here. Notice the word set there. Will you set your eyes? That word set is the same Hebrew word that's used there for fly at the end of verse 5. So he's saying, will you fly on, uh, your eyes on that which is not? Or will you look at something that you think is there and it's attainable, but it's not really attainable because as you go after it, as you overwork and cross those boundaries and cross those lines you shouldn't cross, those things really can't be attained and they just disappear and the riches that you think that you had to have will make themselves wings and they'll fly away like an eagle toward heaven and you won't have them and that's what he's saying we we think that we can get these things if we just work harder and maybe we can to a certain point you know but God's not going to allow us as Christians to continue in that place 
And, and, and even if we can, for a short time, for a season, accomplish those things, what are, we, what are we neglecting? What are we causing to suffer our family, our health, whatever it is? What are, and we're going to reap the consequences of that, and he doesn't want us to do that. And he's trying to protect us from that. This is wisdom from the Lord. He doesn't want us to overwork for things that he hasn't called us to have. If he's called us to have them, he's going to supply the strength, the time, the appropriate work uh, schedule, and, and not neglecting our family, our kids, our health, or all these other things in order to accomplish it. Now, God knows we can go from one extreme to the other. Okay, one extreme is overworking to be rich, and then we can go to the other extreme in verse 6. Do not eat bread of a miser, <laughs> nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and, and waste your pleasant words. So, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, if I'm not going to overwork and, and all these things to be rich, then I'm going to hang out with misers and, and, you know, and he's like, no, don't do that. That's, this, is the, this is the problem with this type of person in verses 6 and, and 7, is that they are hoarding life's resources on themselves to be able to get as much as they can for themselves, and that's who they are. And that, that's not a, a wise person. That's against everything that we've been reading. But when we come over and we're, we're eating with them and we're thinking that these things are so great and they're being so generous and all of that, he says, we think in, that we know them, but in his heart he says, eat and drink, but in his heart he's not with you, meaning that he's potentially trying to get something from us or he's just not being sincere but the point is is that we we think that he's great and he his life is wonderful but in reality it's not what it's supposed to be because he's a miser God hasn't called us to be misers he's called us to be good stewards but he hasn't called us to to hoard life's resources and 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 just think about everything what I can get and not be outward in my focus towards blessing others and being a, a vessel that God can use to bless other people. He hasn't called us to that. So he says, beware of those things. Beware of, of going to people that are, have the appearance that they have it all together and they're, you know, they're misers and they're doing all these things and they have a heart towards us. But in reality, that's not how they live. Verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. So there are times where a person, it's not appropriate for us to speak to a person about a certain subject because they can't hear it right now. And they're not going to receive it well. Maybe they've been told over and over and over again. And in, and in our estimation, as we're looking at the situation, they need to um, suffer the consequences of their behavior. You know, we don't want that for them or feel bad for them or whatever. But they're not, they're not open to correction. Remember I said that fools don't receive correction and they also don't obey the things that God said clearly for them to obey. And, and so this is a pattern in their lives. And there's sometimes where it's going to make them worse off if they hear these things. And it's going to be a distraction, maybe, from what we're trying to accomplish with speaking to another person when they're hearing us and all of that. So we shouldn't do it. He says, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for we will, he will despise the wisdom of your words. Verse 10. Do not remove the ancient landmark nor enter the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. So again, he talks about these landmarks, these boundaries. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. 
See, again, they would expand their land by moving the landmarks, and they would also go into other people's crop, you know, their fields, and they would just start reaping what they didn't sow, and they just start stealing fruit and things. And he says, don't, don't do that. These people are, it's not right, but also these people are orphans. And you notice he says at the verse, end of verse 10, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. These are orphans. These are people that don't have any family to fall back on. And, and so we see all through the Old Testament and even the New Testament, God's emphasis on protecting the orphan and the widow. Basically, he was saying, especially in the Old Testament, you know, you mess with the widow and the orphan, you're messing with me. And he's already said, I will go be their defense and I will, I will protect them and all of that. We don't want to get on that side of the Lord's uh, interaction with, with people that don't, aren't compassionate with the orphan and the widow. We need to watch out for the widows and orphans and take care of the needy and all those things. God's eyes never leave the hurting, the weak, the, the, the poor, the fatherless. He never stops seeing them. He never stops caring for them. He has compassion on them. And he wants to use us as believers to help them, to be there for them, to, to, to uh, supply their needs, to, to help them. And, and we can't forget that. He wants us to be able to just be a blessing to people. And he says there in verse 11, For their Redeemer, meaning him, is mighty. He will plead their cause against you and that's you don't want anyone you don't want the Lord testifying against us in terms of what we're doing or 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 not doing we want we want to be on the right side of all of that so we'll stop there today huge blessing to be able to look through these verses and see all the wisdom that's here it seems like this recurring theme of not being a fool of being um, very generous not forgetting the poor raising our kids well, being willing to do the hard necessary things to raise them well, all these things keep reoccurring in the scriptures. And as we see things reoccurring, we need to recognize that's something that God's really emphasizing. God only needs to say things once for it to be important. But when he says things over and over again, that we need to really, really pay attention to those things. So may the Lord speak to all of us related to all these truths. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your instruction. We're so grateful that we get to go through your word verse by verse. We're so grateful that you speak to us and you redirect us and convict us and exhort us. We want to be made more like you as a result of this, Lord. We thank you that you honor your word. You honor that we go through it line by line, precept upon precept. Lord, we thank you that you um, are using these truths to change us and make us more like you. So we submit our hearts to you now. We want to worship you now, Lord, and, and we pray that you would deal with us related to these verses and help, help us be able to say the things we need to say to you and repent and, and pray and all these things that you want us to do and respond appropriately to these truths. We commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.